if the data is wrong and it probably is, we're not going to get this conversation off the ground. If you don't trust the data, you'll never make decisions on it. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight Series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to the 142nd episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome Kevin McNeil to the show. Kevin is the Vice President of Accounts at Metric Marketing, who is focused on data-driven big ideas that deliver results for financial brands. Welcome to the show, Kevin. So glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Before we get into this conversation today, focused around data, data-driven growth, I always like to start things off on a positive note. What's good for you, man? What's good personally? What's good professionally? It is always your pick to begin. Ah, thank you for asking me. Uh, personally, I'm a blessed man. I got I got two little ones keep me really busy at home. I got my little boy just turned three and my little girl turned one and a half in the same weekend. We did not plan that. By the way, I don't think anybody plans that. We didn't plan that. I will tell you, we have an April 18th, a May 7th, a May 18th. You guys. Three birthdays. Three birthdays in literally a one-month span. And then we got this outlier, August 25th, which is, he's my buddy because I'm an August 31st birthday. So, but yeah, man, congratulations. So three and one and a half, 18 months apart, it sounds like. We're right there with you because ours are are about anywhere between 18 months to 24 months apart. And our oldest is now 11. And I'm like, you're not a little boy anymore. It's beautiful to see his growth and independence. And so enjoy it, buddy. Enjoy it. I do. Yeah, I remind myself of that every day. It's on the personal side of things. I think not everybody has to have kids, but for those of us lucky enough to have kids and it fits our lives and what have you. They bring a kind of happiness you can't find anywhere else. And you asked about, um, you know, the professional side of things. Obviously, everybody's been through a crazy 19 months or whatever we're at now on this COVID clock. And there's opportunity abound. You know, you, you definitely try to go into different professional situations, still having empathy for people and, and trying to understand what the last 19 months have been like for them and their lives. But as far as, you know, the online space where we play with, the most uh, in the industries that we focus on, there's, there's opportunity about. I really like that perspective because, you know, you mentioned the COVID clock. I'm going to have to borrow that from you. I call it the COVID experience because it's something that we're all journeying through together and keeping a positive mindset, keeping focus on the opportunities, not getting stuck in the here and now. We just hosted an orientation for the banking on digital growth program, had a you know, bunch of leaders from from around the country come in, and and actually, it looked like we. I think we had someone from overseas too, out of Europe joining today, and we worked them through an exercise, simple exercise. What's going well? What's been going well? And it's an acronym. It's probably our most popular thinking exercise that, and this is going to be in the next book, Baking on Change, because I'm looking at COVID and just talked about this with Brett King in episode 140. 
COVID's been a preview. COVID is a preview of really all the exponential changes we're going to experience. Yeah. So if you can focus on what's been going well, where have you been winning? What are you excited about? What have you learned? And then what are you looking ahead to towards in the future? You're literally getting, you're taking a journey in your own mind through the past, the present, and then looking ahead into the future, but it's all through the positive lens. The mind can only hold a positive or negative thought, emotion at a time. And the more that we can train our minds, program our minds to focus on the positive, the more that I think growth will be a natural result from that experience as a whole. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. I'm blanking on on who it was, but a, a very famous speaker was talking about the one thing that we've been through with COVID is change. It's accelerated and pushed change at a rate that you know we haven't seen since other major points in, in human evolution and like change brings opportunity and so you, you talk about you know thinking about positive I, I think about opportunity all the time and I definitely think we're in a, a time of opportunity yeah and and you know it, I can't help but think of uh, Ryan Holiday in his book the obstacle is the way the subtitle of that is the timeless art of turning trials into triumph there you go. and Ryan writes from the perspective of the ancient Stoics and he's applying that to some modern day thinking. So really the obstacle is the way. And and let's look at the way. What are the ways forward when it comes to utilizing data as a as a path forward for growth? Data is a big part of the focus of the work that you're doing at metric marketing. And 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 from your perspective, you've mentioned opportunities. So let's stay on that track. What are the opportunities for financial brands when it comes to using data as a path for growth? Yeah. Everything we do is rooted in data and everything, you know, I'm going to talk about when I talk about opportunity is going to come back to data. Like I always feel like when I'm talking in the financial sector, I've I've got to start at a place where this conversation starts at everyone's on the internet, especially in today's day and age. If there's anybody listening to this that is still ho-humming about, you know, what percentages of their membership or their customers are like avid internet, not just users, but they make decisions on the internet, they buy on the internet, their lives are on the internet. It's facts now. But one thing COVID did is it pushed the last, you know, 25, 30% of people who still wanted to do things, quote unquote, the old way. It pushed them into, you know, working through what we call their customer journey. It's happening more and more online. So the opportunities in the data lie within people being online or customers or potential customers being online, we have more opportunity to understand their behaviors, to understand how to reach them, what's working and what's not in reaching them. And most importantly, I think we'll get to a lot of in our conversation today, if we put the right pieces in place, we'll understand if we're getting our potential consumers and our current customers to do what we want them to do. If we're providing the things that they need to fulfill that customer journey, do their research, get to a place of comfort, to consideration, and then do what we want them to do. That's a great point you made. Get them to a place of comfort. Guide them on this journey beyond some stresses, some concerns, some questions, some pain points that are are, are really bothering them because the antithesis of confusion and chaos, let's call that that's where they're at today, they're really looking for clarity Because an increase in clarity will lead to a commitment, which digitally speaking is clicking the apply button to open an account, apply for a loan, 
you know, one of the things when it comes to data, you're, you're talking about behaviors. And before we hit record, we were talking about, like, just take the U.S., for example. U.S., you know, we could say there's, there's four, five, six different, quote, unquote, subcultures, regionally speaking, in the U.S. You've experienced that you know, as a Canadian, you know, working within the United States. And that has been an, an eye-opening experience. Coming from the outside in, Talk about that experience and how data does help with that and really goes beyond, I think, where a lot of us can get it wrong. We make some assumptions, and those assumptions can be killer when it comes to marketing. And so data takes the emotion out of it. It data helps to look at things objectively and quantifiably. And so you're you're literally looking at this from an entirely different lens. And this isn't just true for the, the United States. I just did a podcast on uh, some of the things that are going on in Latin America right now. Once again, kind of, you know, some, some similarities, but then there's still some subcultures that are different from point A to point B. What are your thoughts? I don't want to sound like the guy who's trying to take the human being out of it because it's not the case. You know, when we're marketing potential customers or current customers, we have to have empathy and put ourselves in the shoes of the human being who's making the decision. But data gives us the answers. It takes away the guessing games. I remember graduating, actually being in business school, taking my marketing major and never thinking that I was going to go into marketing and advertising because I didn't think it was quantifiable enough. Like I knew that's how my brain worked. I'd already been in sales. I knew sales was going to be part of my life. And I, I loved the, the quantifiable nature of are you doing a good job in sales, right? And at the time, I didn't think marketing was a fit for me because it wasn't quantifiable enough. And then when I started getting into analytics and learning how to make decisions based on the data, you know, I found my fit there. And in our companies, we'll find our answers in that data. It doesn't have to be a guessing game whether or not one of the big questions I give people all the time, is my website doing its job? Mm. You know, is my website good or bad? This is not an opinion-based decision anymore. There's a number to it. So many things that we do in marketing online are about driving a particular audience to us online, to our place where we get them to do what we want them to do, to convert. That's our website. Your website's job is measured in a conversion percentage. Everything else is getting them there. Once they're there, your website's job is to get them to do what you want them to do, convert. Yep. So is your website good or bad? The answer is in the data. And it's a question we still get all the time. And, and by the way, some of you listening to this, for sure, your website's bad. It's not bad because, you know, it, you might have some brand issues or, or what have you. But what we experience when we get to know a company is we get into their analytics. And we start trying to find opportunity and get over challenges. And websites are performing poorly all over North America right now because of a lack of good data. We actually don't know that conversion percentage. That's a great point to make. And, and one of the ways that, that we've diagnosed this here at the Digital Growth Institute is specifically through the lens of financial services, is that the vast majority, I would say 85%, I mean, it really is the Pareto principle applied, 80-85% are nothing more than glorified online brochures, even in, you know, this, you know, post-COVID world that we're all navigating through together. 
and there's no one I would say to point fault at. It is what it is. And if we can accept that and look at it like from an anthropological lens, it's because these websites historically were built by literally taking a brochure out of the branch in 1999 to build the very first website back then for a lot of these community institutions specifically. And it's been kind of that same thinking pattern of the physical world, if you will, has driven the digital world. You see that with online applications, once again, taking a paper application, making a loan application, a digital loan application out of that. And it doesn't translate. There's there's a lot of complexity in the physical world that then gets amplified because of technology, because of digital applications are a great example of that. So one of the ways that you can quantify this is with Google Analytics. And this is this is another pain point that we see through the coaching that we're doing here. Either A, they're not using Google Analytics, B, they have Google Analytics set up, but they don't really know how to take advantage of what's inside, what should we be measuring. They don't have goals set up, for example, or C, they have it all set up but they're not taking any action out of the insights that they're gaining and applying. So what are you seeing on your end? How might financial brands be able to leverage Google Analytics data that can lead to more thoughtful marketing around people? Yeah, appreciate you walking into my wheelhouse here. It's hoping we get here today. It's a problem, and and I always think it's important to say for anybody listening to this, if you're the person that you believe or you are responsible for the analytics, the marketing analytics of your company, hey, you didn't do anything wrong. You're not behind the eight ball. You know, if, if you're new at a place, you didn't inherit some mess. Everybody in the sector has these same problems. And it's because of the technologies. Hey, we have so many different technologies that, especially our community institutions, you know, we do a lot of work with credit unions. We use so many different third-party pieces of technology Yes, that it has just watered down the data to a point that, if somebody tells me they spend a ton of time in Google Analytics right now, before we walk in, I say, why? What are you doing there? We're getting, there's a lot of information out there, okay? But it's on behaviors and it's on users and traffic and things like this. The outcomes that are being measured are either not there, they don't have conversion goals set up at all, as you mentioned, or the conversion goals that they are measuring are so useless, the idea of bringing them to my CEO so he can bring them to the board We're bringing to my CEO so we can talk about return on ad spend or return on investment for what we're doing in marketing advertising is impossible. The data is no good. I always compare it to, I know you're in Houston, so I'll use football as the example. I'm a football guy that always use football as an example, but people using analytics and trying to make decisions based on data, the way it's set up when we walk in normally, it's like playing a football game and you're keeping every stat in the world other than the score of the game. And then at the end of the game, the two coaches get together and try to figure out who won. And one of the guys is saying, one coach is saying, well, we ran for 120 yards, we won. The other coach is saying, well, we forced three turnovers, so we won. And nobody knows. And that's exactly what happens with Google Analytics. And it's not a guessing game why. You're not measuring the score of the game properly. Yes, and that's a great analogy. One of the things that we see the improper management or, or exploration of data is around like clicks, clicks on an apply button. Well, I just want to like play a hypothetical numbers game for the dear listener to help make this even more real for them. Let's hypothetically say you drive a thousand people to a landing page and you get a hundred people to click on that apply button. I'm doing this to make my math super easy. So now we have a 10% conversion rate, quote unquote, if you're measuring 
clicks on that apply button as a fired off action. However, we know that around, depending upon the product, probably between 60 to 80, 85% of people that start the application are going to abandon. So what we can say at that point to probably do some adjustment, our actual conversion rate, if you will, on that application would be 15. So in reality, our conversion rate went from a 10% conversion rate, if it's based upon clicks, to actual true conversions would be about 1.5% now, if I'm still doing my math properly on this. And from that point, out of that 1.5%, take that down even further to use your football analogy, getting them across the goal line, getting the score, it would not only just be converted, it would be converted and funded is the ultimate, like taking that down to the bottom line. So what are some of the challenges that you're seeing in this space when it comes to Google Analytics? Where are people getting stuck? Where are they struggling? What's holding them back here? Your example is perfect for the most common problem that we see is that we can't measure what's working and what's not. We can't make clear decisions on whether or not we're driving the right behaviors or our website is performing, our landing page is performing, what, what may have you, because we measured the outcome wrong. So that example you gave is perfect because that click to apply is great. They measure it, but it's a key performance indicator. It's rushing yards. You're lying to yourself if you're saying that it's the score of the game. And a big thing that we do with our clients is we're trying to really influence a culture change where everyone can make decisions based on data. You come back to your CEO with that 10% conversion rate and trust is going out the window because the numbers are Fugazi, the Fugazi. We're never going to get to the point of making decisions based on the data because we don't have the trust. Yep. So you actually gave beautiful numbers there because... Yeah, if I walk in and I see a 10% conversion rate on anything, I say pump money into advertising. Right. You're converting at 10%, just drive the people there because we're going to be printing checks. 1.5 and a half, like a 2% uh, conversion rate is a good benchmark for a lot of things. Under 2%, like then we're getting more realistic, right? So it brings like, this is a little bit of a more technical point, but it's a big one. We measure marketing outcomes wrong all the time. Almost every 99 out of 100 places that we walk into. And we try to fix that. So we want to get to a place and our CEO wants us to get to a place where like you talked about getting over the goal line there. Marketing should be held responsible for what's becoming common terminology, that marketing qualified lead. Yep. I got the right user to us. They filled out the application. That is a marketing conversion goal, MQL. Sales job, getting that funded is an SQL. And they're actually two different funnels. And when we're in a perfect spot where we're able to make decisions based on data, we've got a clear data picture from the first time you ever touch my brand, the first time you ever touch an ad, to the point where you've taken that marketing qualified conversion. And then if I'm really on top of my game, I'm using email automation, I'm using the other pieces of the puzzle to get from a marketing qualified lead to a sales qualified lead. You get that whole front end of your business measured in that way, and you're going to know what's working and know what's not. That's a fantastic point that you make because, you know, we can come back to some of the research that came out of the four knees group a few years ago, 80, 85% of CEOs don't trust marketers because they look at the soft vanity metrics. They look at the soft numbers, not the bottom line. And so to your distinction, 
you know, you have marketing on one side of the equation, you have sales on the other. I think if we can start bringing those teams together within an organization and we can do away with these, these silos, that becomes the growth team. And I would say that's like, that's growth team iteration number one. Marketing's job is to control the brand, the messaging, the perception in the marketplace, and just drive leads, MQLs, marketing qualified leads. Technology has transformed our world and digital has changed the way consumers shop for and buy financial services forever. Now consumers make purchase decisions long before they walk into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. But your financial brand still wants to grow loans and deposits. We get it. Digital growth can feel confusing frustrating and overwhelming for any financial brand marketing and sales leader. But it doesn't have to because James Robert wrote the book that guides you every step of the way along your digital growth journey. Visit www.digitalgrowth.com to get a preview of his best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing manifesto that was written to transform financial brands. And it is packed full of practical and proven insights you can start using today to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Now, back to the show. That then gets passed over to sales to then nurture those leads because that's where data and analytics in the financial services space gets really, really messy because it's not just a direct point A to point B. It's not just from marketing to sales. In fact, what we've found through our experience in coaching, is the faster that an organization can get a marketing qualified lead in touch with a salesperson, whether that be over the phone, online, chat, email, in person, doesn't matter. There's a higher propensity in conversion, regardless of if that conversion is online or offline. Take that to the next level, though. That's like I said, that's the growth team version one, growth team version two. Now you bring the service team in, and then you can get into some deeper conversations around like what's your retention rate, what's your NPS, what's your voice of the customer. And now you're literally looking at all three of these different lenses because marketing controls the message, generates leads, sells, nurtures leads, closes leads, service retains all of that, grows the account, and then can activate promoters on the other side. And you've got this beautiful experience, but you got to get these foundational benchmarks in place first so that you know what's working, what's not working, and just really get some clarity. Where would you say the biggest opportunity is here? I know one of the the areas that, that, that you focus on is CRO or conversion rate optimization. What is that for the dear listener who might not be aware of that terminology? Yeah, conversion rate optimization is all about testing, evaluating, using data to improve our conversion rate. We come back even higher level to pure optimization though. And I actually think this is the most important conversation. Again, I'm always thinking about that. I really hung on what you said there, uh, James Robert, about CEOs don't trust marketing people. Like as, as a marketing guy, it's not totally fair, but they don't trust the data. Completely fair. What the most one of the most important conversations that we're having. I want to hop in on, on your point here real fast, though. This is not you no know, 
pointing blame once again at marketers. Like I'm very empathetic. I mean, I've, you know, come up through the marketing world and, and, and now working at a higher level, like with senior leadership teams to try to bring a unified voice. So I feel the marketers pain on this. Why is this? I think we have to address the why. There's a lot of history that gets built up into this going back to the early days of marketing, particularly in banking. For example, when marketing was like TV, radio, print, direct mail, it was almost impossible to quantify any of these activities, hence why marketing specifically within financial services has always been viewed as a cost center, where I look at the future of this as a revenue center, because back to your point, optimization is key figuring out what works, what doesn't, do more of what works, stop doing what doesn't work. Continue with your thought, please. Yes, because optimization, it does start with better data, as we've talked about. But the most important conversation going on right now is about having the right philosophies that guide us so that we're understanding how to evaluate whether it's different channels like traditional versus digital advertising or different ads, different creative concepts, different messaging. So two of the most important conversation or two pieces of this very important conversation we're having to try to bring teams together. One is fulfilling the customer journey. And you talked about it in the different teams and their roles. The customer journey that we use to organize so much of our thinking from marketing outward is awareness, that first touch point, building familiarity, moving someone towards consideration, and then conversion where our sales team kicks in. And then you talked about loyalty. Uh, that ending point where service and support kick in, where we can really get to the end of the customer journey and, and start building brand loyalty. The customer journey leads to an important conversation that is about, Google calls it attribution modeling. We think about it as understanding the relation that different marketing channels and tactics have to one another. A problem that we have working with credit unions, I always bring this back to you know getting a new member, right? We want to get a new member. This is a, a well-researched and a long customer journey. It is not realistic. And we were trained at some point to go look at our AdWords reporting and come back and say, did it drive a conversion? Well, is somebody clicking on an AdWords ad for you know any type of loan that you want to name and then becoming a member of your credit union in a hop is not a very realistic customer journey. That's a great point because once again, we need to like talk about why, why this has been the perspective for so long. It's the direct marketing world. I do A, I send out direct mail, people then walk into my branch. So that must be attributed back to a direct mail drop within three mile radius of my branches. Therefore, I can conclude this direct mail drop was successful. No, not realistic. Yeah. But. When you're talking about this, they are long buying journeys, depending upon the product, three, six, nine, sometimes 12, even upwards of 18 months on like some of the small business commercial side of things. We need to look at a longer tail attribution model and a multi-touch attribution model of all of the different channels that influence and guide a buyer's decision back to the previous point that we were talking about to help build their confidence by providing clarity, because when that level of confidence, that level of trust, it's a certain point. We make enough deposits in their trust fund that sits between their brains. That's when they click the apply button. And so we need to be able to like get some clarity of what are all of those, those patterns, if you will, throughout this entire journey. If we start with better data, 
and we can start applying some of these really important concepts in our conversations. It, we understand attribution modeling. We document, we make decisions based on the customer journey. That's where we're going to find optimization opportunities. Because if we're looking at ways to just optimize one channel or evaluate one type of marketing on its own, we're not putting ourselves in the shoes of our customers. They're going to go through multi-touch point, multi-channel journeys on their way to conversion. And we have to give every piece of the puzzle its credit. We have to be organized that way. And then we have to bring back our reporting in that way as well. Don't train our CEO to say AdWords or Facebook advertising or direct mail is good or bad if it led directly to a conversion. I recommend going back to episode 112, where I provide some perspective into four types of attribution models to measure conversion, to measure acquisition, just to continue to expand your thinking further on the subject. I want to come back to you on this, Kevin. You know, looking at all of this, and I would say it's almost building a what I would call a culture of optimization. Uh, I teach four different environments, growth environments as part of a 90-day growth methodology. You can be learning, you can be thinking, you can be doing, or you could be reviewing. And the most dangerous place to get stuck and really kind of the deadly place to get stuck is in the doing of anything. In this particular case, the doing of digital. And so when you're looking to create a culture of optimization, it's about creating space and time to pause, to review, to reflect what has been done to then learn from those experiences, to gain and gather the key insights, think critically about those key insights, and then apply that thinking to the next iteration of doing, what are the opportunities here? And maybe I'll flip it around, not opportunities, because I would say there's probably more roadblocks that we need to address. What are the roadblocks that you're seeing when it comes to facilitating a culture of optimization not just within marketing, but I would say marketing, sales, service, leadership even. What are your thoughts on this? Great question. Yeah, I'll give you three. Okay, number one, I'm a broken record. It's bad data. If the data is wrong, and it probably is, we're not going to get this conversation off the ground. If you don't trust the data, you'll never make decisions on it. So that is number one with a bullet. And, and that's not just, that can't be siloed again, talking about different teams, different cells. We have to have a collaborative exercise to get the data right. And I won't go too deep on this right now, but the marketing department can't be telling everybody what good data is. It's got to be a collaborative effort where you make sure you don't miss anything and you make sure everybody's on the same page. Once you get the data right, number two, a really important piece is getting our sales and marketing data in the same place. Mm. That MQL to SQL conversation, it gets lost in translation a lot because we're actually looking at different screens. We have salespeople looking at sales numbers and saying the marketing data doesn't make any sense and the marketing people not looking at the sales data and they're saying, well, that doesn't matter. You don't understand what we're doing over here. We've got to get those two things into the same place. And that leads to number three, when we're really talking about influencing this from a, a decision-making standpoint, I know that you said culture of optimization. We, we talk about making decisions based on data. Same thing, it leads to optimizations is you've got to get to the, Therefore, pieces we have to get out of this culture of reporting. Yes, of I'm going to give you vanity metrics, I'm going to give you the numbers to make what I'm doing look good. We have to get away from that at all levels and start to say, What is the opportunity? What is the challenge? And what is the decision that we have to make here as a team? And 
that's really the, the top of the food chain. Get the data right, get it all the data into the same place so we're not looking at different screens and then get out of reporting and get into the therefores. There's a great uh, meme on this, and I want to frame it around Legos. So data is like ones and zeros. And if you think about Legos, and I think about my kids who are a little bit older than yours, data is like Legos just scattered all across the floor, right? And they hurt. It hurts when you (laughs) step on a Lego. Yeah. So what do we get? We get data and then we get analytics. Analytics is where you start getting into grouping and sorting. Maybe it's by color with the Lego. Uh, maybe it's by uh, size. So that's your analytics because then you can get some visualization out of it. We can kind of determine like how things are going. But I would say the next level up, insights. Insights is where now you're able to build something together to pull it all into a, something that's easy to understand. So you take the Legos that are scattered on the floor. That's your data. You, you bring it all together. That's your analytics. Now that's all sorted. And then you can build something and it's like, ah, that's a house. So now I know what this actually means. And from there, the last step is you got to take action. You got to put it into action And I think that's where this idea of a culture of optimization really comes together because otherwise, like you said, like this idea of just reporting for reporting's sake, that's great, but it's like, that's great. Now here's what we can do with it. And making a commitment to do this at least quarterly, build that that capability, build those habits up, and then maybe you do it every other month. And then you go get even better and then you can do it monthly and then you get even better. And then you're doing this every single week as part of an optimization opportunity. And somebody can take away the work. Yeah. Great example for you right on that line of thinking is we've, we've had conversations before I know about the efficiency solutions in our sector that influences or takes away from user experience. Mm. So like getting to insights, We have bad data on so many of our online platforms in the sector because of these third-party apps. So I'm working with a client and they've got a screen where they've got the like right off the homepage when the main user paths get to this like complex lending product or new credit card. I'll just use new credit card for an easy example. Not everybody exactly understands how to buy a credit card. So you click on this, I want a credit card, terrific. We got the right person there. They need a credit card. They're on our site. They took the user path that we wanted to take them from our homepage. Asks me a question at the start. Good, segmented me. Am I a member? Am I not a member? I click, I am not a member. It takes me to a gigantic form. Yep. They have to become a member before they apply for the credit card. Right. I'm like, okay, not a great user experience. That's like a a 26 field form you need me to fill out. Let me go the other way. I am a member. Sends me to a gigantic form. So what happens here is we don't have the data. Once somebody clicked onto that form and we jumped off the website, the, the user path that we see in analytics dies usually. That's something that has to get fixed. But getting into the insights portion, get the data fixed up, get everybody looking at the same thing. So you might have a salesperson saying, well, I need that form filled out. The type of insight you're going to get to is looking at the actual behaviors that you're driving there. Mm-hmm. How many people finish that form? How many people would have just picked up the phone and talked to that salesperson who would have helped you fill out that form if you would have given them that option? And it's the type of insight, a simple test, 
that you'll get to if you get the data and you get people working together in that way. You know, that's a great point you're making. Some recent research that we have uh, comes out of, of, of a company called Heap, where they found that 43% of consumers believe that the majority of websites are not designed around uh, the needs of the end user. On the flip side, 95% of product teams say that their website is somewhat easy or even very easy for users to navigate. This is one of the reasons that we do qualitative digital secret shopping studies. And back to the point of the form, like you can get really granule in the quantitative side, the big data, qualitative is the thick data where our area of focus and expertise is, but then you can get quantitative too to see where the friction points are. Where are you losing 80% in this workflow? Back to your point too about like, would someone be willing to talk to someone? You know, when it comes to the mortgage side of things, 92% of borrowers buy from someone, buy from one of the first two lenders that they speak with on the phone. However, our research has found that only 17% of banks and credit unions are actively following up with abandoned applications. So put that another way, 83% of banks and credit unions do not follow up with abandoned applications. Fix this one little problem right here. Don't do anything else. Don't do any other type of marketing. Just fix this one little problem and you're going to exponentially increase growth by capturing what you're already losing at the bottom line. Let me ask, you know, this has been a great conversation, Kevin, and I really appreciate all of the, the knowledge, the expertise that you've brought to bear today. What are you most hopeful and excited about when it comes to utilizing data to empower financial brands to maximize their future digital growth potential? What I'm most excited about is that moving over the last 19 months where the world's gone, that I'm hopeful we're going to get to a place where we really believe the entire customer journey for our customers or potential customers is rooted in data. That we can get out of this idea of, well, they're just going to walk in the branch and that's not trackable. And, oh, they're going to you know, take that piece of direct mail and walk into the branch and that's not trackable. It's the, the user path And even if that is our conversion point, we want to get them into the branch, which is terrific. We want them to pick up the phone. We want them working with our people. Yes, we do. But there's so much data on the way there that I'm really hopeful that in the future, we're going to start to clean up some of the, like I'll call them mistakes, technology mistakes that have been made in the industry for efficiency solution sake. And we're going to get back to the user experience. We're going to get back to offering customers and potential customers the type of outcomes that they want. You know, I want help buying this complex financial product that I believe that if we get into the data, we get better data. We get our teams working together, get all the data in the same place. And we're going to get to a point of insights that's going to bring us back to empathy and, and bring us back to a place where we're thinking about our customer and our potential customers first. Great point. I want to make a little bit of a technical side on this, but you mentioned this idea of calling in. It is possible now to loop call tracking data into this entire experience. And I think that's a major blind spot because we do know that people call in, but who are they calling in? What products are they calling in for? So that's a a small technical aside. Let's wrap up with this very, very practical next step. Where can people get started? Like, 
you know, all growth, all progress begins with a very simple step. What's the simple step that you would recommend the dear listener take as they move forward around data as part of their digital growth journey? What's something small they can commit to? And the number one thing I can tell you to do is there's no time too soon to start getting better data. So work with someone. Don't try to do it yourself because you're not behind the eight ball. Don't be, do not fear what you're going to see in the data. We do not dismiss data because we don't want to see what it has to say. Take the inputs, take the insights, work with someone to help you get better data. And there's no time too soon. So get into your analytics account, your Google analytics account, look at your conversion goals, look at the outcomes. Hey, go back to that number that me and you talked about at the start here, James, Robert. See if you're closer to a 2% or a 1.5% conversion rate or you're at 10%. And if you're near 10%, don't think you're doing well, pick up the phone and get some help. If you're around 1.5% or 2%, ask yourself if you believe those numbers, if your CEO is going to believe those numbers, and then if you have all the data in place to have the right conversations with your sales team, that everyone's going to see that the same way, that, the, that everyone's going to believe in it. The number one thing you can do leaving today is don't be afraid of the data. Start working on getting better data into your marketing team. Then you can get your sales team involved. Then you can get your CEO involved and you can start to make real change about the way that your culture and the way your company can make decisions based on data. Absolutely. Kevin, this has been such such a great conversation, a lot of fun. What's the best way that someone who is listening can continue the conversation with you if they'd like to? How can they connect? I appreciate it, man. Metricmarketing.ca is our website. You're going to see my contact information right on there. Feel free to reach out to me personally or hit info at metricmarketing.ca and you'll get me, I promise. Connect with Kevin, learn from Kevin. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. Thank you so much, James. Robert, be well, man. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good.